Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, November 1st. I'm your host, Jason Moser. And on today's financial show, we're digging into the latest earnings reports for Visa, MasterCard, and Robinhood. Joining me this week, it's Jason Hall. Jason, good to see you. Jason Moser, it is a pleasure to be on with you. Well, we don't get to do this often enough, so I'm glad we have a plethora of material to get through. Probably, we, we could probably talk about this stuff for, for a, a lot more time than we're allowed to today. So let's just jump yeah, right we, in. Yeah, I mean, we've got an hour's worth of content in 30 <laughs> minutes to get it done. Easily, easily. <laughs> so, uh, we're, you know, we're in the middle of earnings season, of course. A lot of companies reporting last week and this week. Last week, we had a few, uh, a few of our favorites to cover uh, reporting. We're going to start. Uh, the show this week with MasterCard. Now, MasterCard, I think everybody's very familiar with the with the brand um, and, and with with generally speaking what they do. Uh, not not the greatest week. They had a tough week last week. Shares down about six and a half percent. It it felt like it felt like the earnings report. I mean, it felt like a good report, but it felt like the market received it with sort of cautious optimism. Yeah. Uh, what 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 were your uh, takeaways from from MasterCard's recent report there? Yeah, I think so too. And you know, I think Jason, if you look at the the stock chart, right, just as to kind of think about what's going on with the the stock price versus what's happening out here in the in the actual world, it feels like the Mastercard and, and Visa too. When we talk about it, we kind of got tied up in like that reopening trade, yeah. and the result that we've seen over the year, right? Because that was the big talk at the beginning of the year and early in the winter. The results, I guess, just haven't met expectations. And I think maybe I'm taking a look, taking a look at MasterCard. Like you go back into the second quarter and it reports all of these different metrics for different parts of its business. And in general, right? So we think about like the e-commerce stuff, right? So transactions card not present, right? That's largely people ordering stuff online has just exploded, right? And that's driven their number of transactions above 2019 levels. That's another thing they're doing that's helpful is they're not just giving us the comps to last year because we know last year was bizarro land and not representative <laughs> of like the the kind of business that this normally is. So we yeah. get those 2019 comps and like you look at switched volume, uh, you look at <clears throat> switch transactions, like 127% in the second quarter, 131% in the third quarter, and then through um, October 21st, 132%, right? So we're seeing that continued acceleration. But then you look at like, like really like their international travel number, um, that cross-border volume, and it was still 77% of 2019 levels, right? Yeah. So I think there's still like, I think it's cautious optimism. I really think that's what it is. Or like just caution maybe, right? Because I mean, these stocks really from the beginning of the year, they're, they're not doing great at all. No, they're not, and I mean that's that's obviously because of very it's become a very hyper competitive environment, and and we'll talk a little bit about about that when we discuss these together. Um, I mean, Mastercard being the smaller of the two, uh, it it feels like perhaps there's a little bit more of a growth opportunity there, but it also does feel like I mean I'm glad you mentioned the comp to 2019 numbers because I mean clearly coming from 2020, I mean that that's maybe not as helpful but generally speaking i mean this recovery right we've seen with with bank earnings here over the past several quarters the consumer is in a great spot 
I mean, the oh, consumer, yeah. generally speaking, has been in a very good spot. And I mean, this this job, this employment, this employment issue, right? I mean, not enough not enough people to fill the jobs that are available out there is 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 interesting to note. I feel like what remedies that is, well, you know, you just you just go without a job for long enough, and you're you're going to run out of money, and, and, and that job. sort of takes care of itself, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I think you're right. I think you're right. And at the end of the day, too, if you think about the jobs that are opening, open, they're the jobs that people didn't really want to have, you know, two years ago anyway, right? Yeah. People in the service industry, if you've you've ever dealt with, you know, any kind of travel when people are already stressed, hotel staff, uh, all of those sorts of jobs, that's the stuff that, that, that people aren't filling, right? So yeah. here we are. And given time, I think, I think you're right. I think that's that gets that gets addressed. You know, one thing I noticed in MasterCard's call, and and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on this, because we've we've seen so much uh, in in the financial media landscape recently regarding the I word, right? Inflation. I mean, that is the mm-hmm. word of the day, seemingly yep. every day for the past several several months. Um, clearly, inflation is is an issue. Now, you have some folks arguing whether it's transitory or a bit more permanent nature. I, I tend to feel like it's a little bit more permanent nature, but I guess we'll find out when we get there. But I did notice in the call with MasterCard, you know, one of the questions was, how does a business like this respond to inflation? Is inflation a good thing or a bad thing for a business like MasterCard? And, and management had a had a they had an opinion there. I mean, they said in the call, they felt like, listen, if, if inflation is something where it's measured, it's it's relatively modest, it's it's paced, Right, you're not talking about some sort of hyperinflation type of environment. Typically, that is going to end up being a tailwind for a business like Mastercard, just based on the business model itself. Right? right. I mean, they're getting right. that interchange. They're getting the sense per transaction. I mean, when you see something like inflation going going uh, through our economy at a measured pace, I mean, ultimately the spending, right? The dollars that are going through these networks are growing. And, and so, whether it's inflationary, I mean, you know, Mastercard and Visa, are, they're they're going to benefit from that, unless it's a hyperinflationary type of environment, which can have other sorts of ongoing ongoing impacts. Yeah, I, I think the key, and this is, Jason, this is exactly why fintech is a thing. This is exactly why you have the Squares and the PayPal's of the world that that want a larger and larger portion of that payments business, right? Because at the end of the day the business model is so incredibly powerful. You mentioned operating leverage, right? Because even if inflation does affect them in their operating expenses to some extent, the benefit is like orders of magnitude larger, right? In yeah. terms of you think about the revenues. I mean, this is, these are businesses that generate better than 50 points of, 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 <clears throat> of, of gross margin. Um, so it's, it is good. But again, the, the, the risk, and I really wanted to define it, is if it's inflation that hurts the economy, like really hurts the economy, that's definitely not good. And I think that's the key thing that they wanted to stress is that really it is good inflation, which like it or not is a real thing. Good inflation is good for this business. Too much inflation that stalls the economy, you know, puts takes us back to where we were a year ago. Yeah. Yep. Well, let's talk a little bit about Visa because very similar business, of course, a little bit bigger, um, but 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 I mean, a very similar business. A little bit of a tougher week. Shares down about eight and a half percent on again what I feel like was a pretty 
good quarter. I mean, right, you saw numbers that indicate growth, that indicate spending, more dollars going through these networks, more transactions happening. Right. Um, but you know, there there was one there was one headline we saw throughout the week that I think along with sort of the tepid guidance, and, and, and you can talk about that, uh, but along with the tepid guidance, I think we're seeing Visa, it seems like Visa is being targeted a little bit more by regulators here recently. Now, whether that's whether that's earned or not, yeah. that, that's another debate entirely. But it certainly feels like, I mean, these relationships that they have with companies like Square and PayPal, like you mentioned, mm-hmm. you start getting that headline where regulators looking into what you're doing and how, how you're making your business happen. I mean, certainly that's going to that's gonna create some near-term uncertainty, I would think. Well, this, I mean, this is a, this is a business that's gotten its hand slapped in the past over, you know, anti-competitive practices. So when you have more than half of the U S share of, of, of those sorts of transactions, regulators should be watching closely. Frankly, I think, I think, you know, it's, it's good to have a dominant business for, for reasons, but when you start running into, you know, anti-competitive practices, I, I think it's a, it's a real, I don't think it's a threat to the business, but it's a risk that investors need to be very conscious of because if the company is forced to take steps that mean it, that's going to seed some of that market, um, guess what? That's the bottom line that's affected. So I think you have to be, you know, you have to be conscious of that. Um, yeah. I think the other thing too, with MasterCard compared to the two, I don't want to jump the gun here, but Visa's done an incredible job growing and being, I mean, it's gigantic even compared to, to MasterCard, um, at least in the U.S. And, and overseas as well. But the growth opportunity for both of them is, lar- is largely not just in these like merchant transactions, right? The, the, you go into the store to buy stuff transactions, you getting a new Visa or MasterCard from your bank, right? That's, that's great business. And there's certainly growth there as the world moves to more digital transactions. But you move to like business to business payments. You think about the 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 person to person payments. Those are like I don't know four times the size of the like the merchant market that they do, they do right. So I think Mastercard's done a better job there, and I don't think that the market is responding to that. I don't think the market in general even really realizes that broadly. You know what I mean? Um, but I think the big thing for Visa uh, is is it was like kind of one of those sell the news things, right? The, there was this expectation for guidance of being like closer to 20% growth driven a lot by not just the strong transaction uh, processing volumes that we've seen that have recovered and grown in some of these other areas, but just in the, like the whole travel thing starting to get back to normal. Right. And that really important part of their business being just like gravy. Um, and obviously management's not hundred percent sold that that's going to happen next year, right? Next fiscal year. Cause their fiscal year, yeah. they've just started their new fiscal year right now. Um, it just doesn't seem like, management's convinced that that's going to be like 20% revenue enough to push them to 20% revenue growth guidance was, was closer to, you know, like upper mid teens. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, I'm I'm glad you brought up that business to business, uh, you know, business to government. I mean, all of these different sort of ancillary almost, I mean, I, I shudder to call them ancillary because they're such big market opportunities, but I think so many people out there just think of Visa and MasterCard as the consumer card that is in your wallet. And right. when you read into these two businesses, both of them, I mean, their strategy, they start talking about this network of networks, mm-hmm. right? And I mean, that's why these, these businesses are so strong because they're such massive networks and they're looking to basically 
parlay that, that success of, the, of that massive network in, into other networks within that network. I mean, I think that is part of the story that a lot of folks don't necessarily focus as much on. But when you look at the sheer numbers involved, I mean, you're talking about trillions and tr trillions of dollars yeah. moving yeah. around the world. And, and these are two businesses with the networks that, that can absolutely help facilitate all of those different types of networks, whether it's business to business, business to consumer, government to consumer, whatever it may be. It's bananas how how many of those transactions are still something that comes across an accounts payable department and they process it and an actual physical check comes off of a printer somewhere, yeah. goes into an envelope and gets mailed. Um, you know, just the inefficiencies that are there are are enormous, right? And the ability to facilitate less human interaction, right? Drive a lot of those those operational costs out, but also speed up processing time, right? Because at the end of the day, when there's money that's literally in the mail somewhere, you know, that's money that's not in your, in, in your, in your bank account. And that's, yeah. that's, that's something that a lot of organizations can just, if they can improve their cash efficiency using what Visa and MasterCard can do, that's, that's powerful. Yeah. And that, and that's exactly why I think you're seeing uh, so much enthusiasm with companies like Bill.com, for example. I mean, yep. a company that just right. kind of taken taken the world by storm here. If you look at the stock chart, it just it's it's kind of astounding, honestly. But I mean, it's because they're tackling that specific opportunity that you just talked about. I mean, the inefficiencies in 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 small to medium sized businesses. I mean, just this the nature of cutting physical checks. I mean, I, I mean, just as, as as an individual, like when I have to cut an individual physical check, I mean, I. I I die a little bit inside sometimes, Jay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, that's a that's a moment that you will never get back in your entire life. I know you are not getting paid to do. Like you're literally paying somebody and taking more of your time to pay them. It's Ugh. it's 2021. Come on, what are we doing here? Well, well speaking of 2021, I mean, given the nature of fintech, I mean, this is a very fast changing evolving space. I mean, it, it, there are right. a lot of different players. I mean, I get it, right? It is a massive market opportunity and there are a lot of hands in that cookie jar. Now, some yeah. are going to succeed. Some are going to just disappear. But but generally speaking, I mean, the conversation goes, well, this is fintech. So you look out Visa and MasterCard, your days are numbered. And, and I feel like that is a very simplistic argument that doesn't take into account a lot of the things that we've just discussed here. But I'm curious to know, like, how concerned should investors actually be about these two businesses being meaningfully disrupted from this move towards digital payments? Because I, I, I feel like maybe they're finding ways to participate as opposed to necessarily being uh, edged out of, of the transaction entirely. Yeah, that's. I think that's very, very much the case. By and large, I think that's the case. Is at the end of the day, fintech, generally, Again, we, we've only got a few minutes. We can't really dive into this. I mean, we could do like a five-part show on this yeah. if you want to. It's, <laughs> that's that what it would like take it. to cover it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think the key thing to remember here is that the reason fintech exists is all of these companies want to be in the middle. They want to participate somewhere in between you as the purchaser and me as the, as the merchant, right? Um, or they want to be somewhere in between me and the bank or the, or the you and the bank, right? They, they want to be in that middle because it's so lucrative. Think about, again, those margins I mentioned that these companies generate at scale are enormous, right? And you think about these relatively small fees that, that they charge to generate this incredible profitability, right? Being in the middle is really, really powerful. So I think viewing Visa and MasterCard as at risk of disruption from that is inaccurate, right? Because they, 
they have competition. Competition is increasing. And at the end of the day, the network effect, if your Visa and MasterCard is so, so strong, they have the relationships with the merchants already, right? The merchants trust them because they know they're going to get paid, right? The banks trust them, right? Because they know that they're secure, right? And they have relationships with 99% of the merchants out there, right? So all of those things are there. So if you're a consumer, having their, 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 their cards is either just a prerequisite because that's the debit card your bank offers, or there's a rewards program that gives you some incentive, right? And oh, by the way, again, that it's that gets back to the, the power. So there's so much strength in that network effect that it's easy to overlook that. And you know what? It's hard to build that. I mean, it is really, really hard to build that. Technology's helped, right? It certainly helped. The cloud has helped making it easier to, to, to build those sorts of um, <clears throat> networks out and attract, you know, the different stakeholders and users. But I think we sometimes we rush to they're going to get disrupted and forget that, guess what? The, the, all these other fintech companies, they're in the same cabal, right? They, they want to do the same thing already. And a lot of times, they are, they're going to partner with Visa and MasterCard anyway. So I think we missed that. But to me, Jason, I think the biggest potential disruption is he who can pay me fastest and at the lowest structure of fees wins. And I think technology like blockchain is more likely to be a bigger source of disruption at some point than than any of the fintech players are to these businesses because it it essentially eliminates the middle right yeah yeah it seems like I, it improves the operating system i mean if you kind of think of visa and mastercard are kind of these operating systems of of the right. payments network i mean and, and you search their calls i mean you'll see mention of blockchain frequently right i mean they're mm -hmm. they're utilizing that technology so it's good to see them embracing that in order to be able to evolve yeah. uh, because i think you're right i mean getting that money from point A to point B as quickly as possible, as cheaply as possible. That's ultimately what people want. That's what businesses want. That's what everybody wants. And right. so we're, we're certainly finding new ways to do that. And uh, it, it feels like blockchain technology is going to be something that ultimately helps these businesses. And, and to your point, I mean, building a network like that, it, I think people just don't really think about the billions of cards that are out there with these brands on them, right? Whether it's mm -hmm. Visa or MasterCard, I mean, it, it's not easy to build that kind of a network, regardless of your feelings of any particular fintech operation. I mean, that that operating system is is core to so much that's going on. Yeah, no doubt about it. It it really is. And and there the other aspects of it too. You have regulation, right? You have to meet regulation and hundreds of countries and and thousands of municipalities right so the scale to have the resources to make sure you're meeting the regulations where you're doing business is another thing i think people forget about right because the world is getting smaller um and and more international so so those are things i think that are easy to overlook but at the end of the day the technology that, that gets people paid the fastest right when you can go from months to to weeks that's great but when you can go from weeks to days that's incredible but when you can go from days to now you know, and again, I think it's five, 10 years before that sort of thing happens. And the big problem with cryptocurrencies, right, which are the, the monetary side of, of, of um, the blockchain is the volatility and value, right? Yeah. Because sure, it's great to be able to get it as a crypto asset, but then to turn it into cash, right? The thing that's still money, that's another process in and of itself that has to be continually refined. So, yeah. but I think that's the biggest risk right now. Well, the toughest week of them all goes to Robinhood. Robinhood oh, yeah. uh, earnings came out uh, late last week as well. Shares had a tough week, down about 11.5%. Uh, 
uh, in in total. And it, it feels like this is a polarizing business. There's some people who love it. There's some people who just can't stand it. Uh, I, I don't know that I would say I can't stand it, but I certainly don't have any interest in owning these shares. Now, now you may feel differently, uh, but let's talk a little bit about the quarter because it did seem like they, uh, they're starting to realize some challenges, particularly because they are so heavily exposed to crypto. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's certainly showing in in how the what's going on with the user base. You know, I think that's bottom line. It's not even just crypto, right? But I think we're seeing the same thing just in in their volume of of stock transactions, right? Is also coming down. I think I don't know. Options might be the only part of their business is actually kind of doing okay. Yeah, but, even, but, but I mean, and how? But how much of that do you think is like that? People don't fully understand what they're doing. <laughs> I mean, there's a, a gambling sense to options unless you really actually know what's yeah. going on. Yeah, no, this isn't like Motley Fool options, right? Where it's like this really the most boring possible way to do options that <laughs> yeah. also generates you know income ninety seven percent of the time or whatever it is. Um, yeah, it's gambling. I mean, it's just straight up gambling. And but I mean. I, I think, again, that gets back to the big challenge with Robinhood from the beginning for so many like long-term focused investors to say it's awesome that we have more people, particularly young people, that are thinking about making money um, with stocks. But it's like everything about the way their system is built gamifies it and turns it into this short-term, you know, quick hit sort of thing. And I mean, if you look at if you look at the numbers, if you look at like uh, something I, I sent a note to you. So they reported uh, third quarter. So they said that their monthly active users increased 76% um, and assets under custody increased 115%. But if you go back and look at the second quarter, what you see is that they ended the second quarter with 21.3 million users. They ended the third quarter with 18.9 million monthly active users. That's going the wrong way. Assets under custody ended the quarter at 95 billion. They ended the second quarter at 102 billion, right? ARPU, average revenues per user, fell from $112 in Q2 to $65. Jason? That's a big, that's a big fall. That's a big drop. I mean, that's, that's what do you, something. What do you, I mean, that, what do you think? Well, I, I mean, I, so I, there are a lot of different ways you can look at Robinhood. I mean, I, I like the idea that we're getting a platform out there that wants to democratize investing and give everybody the access. I feel like they could do a better job on the education side of things. And maybe they'll get there. I mean, I think building that brokerage, it, it can be sticky. And from there, I mean, once you have people in there, then you can start rolling out educational and advisory services, I think, as you like. So there's a lot of potential there. I mean, 22.4 million net cumulative funded accounts with $95 billion in assets under custody. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. But when you do the math, actually, you're talking about the average net funded account, you know, $4,200, a little over yeah. $4,200. And that number's yeah. coming down. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have very high value clients, first and foremost, right? Yeah, they lost about 100,000. And I'll bet you the median, I'll bet you the median is far lower oh, oh, than yeah, that 4,200. Yeah. And so yeah. you're looking at a business that, that clearly, I mean, they're, they're doing some, some neat things, 
but you have to wonder about the market that they're actually pursuing, the actual, the demographic that they're pursuing. Because look at something like Charles Schwab, for example. Charles Schwab, $7.5 trillion in assets under management, and it's a $154 billion company, right? You've got Robinhood with just under, 90, uh, just under $100 billion in assets under custody. That's a $30 billion company. I mean, those numbers don't even come close to making sense. So there's clearly right. a lot of enthusiasm there for Robinhood. I just feel like it's not been earned yet. <laughs> I, I agree, Jason. I, I really, I want to like this business. I really, really yeah, do. I, just, I, I, I want I do to too. like it so much. You know what I mean? And, and, and I think there's, there's levers they can pull, right? So you start adding IRAs, right? You start letting people roll over that, um, you know, do rollovers and, and open up a Roth, right? And start really thinking about like, the long-term distance future. And maybe they can, maybe, maybe that's going to, and I know they're working on those things, right? So maybe, maybe that's can, turn these losses and in, in users that we're seeing, maybe it can start turning that around. But yeah. dude, this how long has the company been public? Earlier this year? Yeah, yeah. Just a very yeah, short time. Yeah. yeah. $35 a share, IPO to 38. The market's obviously um nowhere near convinced. No. Um, no they're, 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 they're gonna be able to turn it around. Right. Yeah. And I mean it's it's obviously a very competitive environment. I mean you've got companies out there like public.com, which is which is not public, but if you've ever interfaced with public, I mean, that is a very slick mobile first uh, experience for investing. They really embrace the educational side of it, uh, much less of a focus on, on just things like crypto and options, uh, building neat sort of thematic ETFs. So I see a company like public and in that, to me, it seems like I feel like public is playing the long game, whereas Robinhood's not quite sure what they're doing yet. And that, that's what really concerns me. Yeah, I think I think that says I think that says it well. I mean, here's the thing though: the the business is strong. It's tons tons of money in the bank. Um, starting to burn cash though, you know, cash burn. I think it's a real concern. You know, the economics yeah. should be really good with this kind of business that it should generate uh, pretty good operating cash flows. But that's that's not the case this year. So I think that's a, that's a real concern because when you're losing users, right? When your average account balances are falling. Um, trading, um, is, is, is falling. Your average revenue per user is down like 40%. I mean, those are some real things, particularly for a cash burning business. You know, the, this, I, I, as much as I, I want to like the business, I wouldn't touch the stock right now until the metrics, they have to earn it, right? Jason, they have to earn it right now. They're not. We'll leave it there. I think that's going to do it for us this week, Jason. Thanks so much for taking the time to be here. I appreciate you having me on. This is always fun. We'll do it again. Yes, sir. Remember, folks, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus or drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to our guy Steve Broido today, the original man behind the glass tidying this show up for us. For Jason Hall, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.